Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Is Thursday, February 13th, 2020. I'm Shannon, and I am here with Kristen, Sarah, and Stacy, and we are going to share with you some of the best things that we have read lately. We often, well, almost always have a theme for these shows, but this time we just kind of decided that we'd read a lot of awesome things and wanted to talk about them, even though they aren't really related to each other very well. So I guess the, the theme is awesome books. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. So Sarah is going to start us off. I will follow, then Stacy, and then Kristen. So Sarah... <laughs> So are you ready to tell us about an awesome book of you? I am. Let's talk about zombies. Okay. Zombie. So um, the author that I'm going to talk about is actually an author that Stacy told me about. And she read these books first, but because she has other great books to talk about, she's letting me talk about this. So the author is Rachel Aukes, A-U-K-E-S, and the first book in her trilogy is called A Hundred Days in Deadland. And it is a great zombie apocalypse theme book. And the way that the zombie apocalypse started in this one is different than the usual like virus that starts in China. It in this one it was oh, like right now. Right, right. exactly. Except for <laughs> except for not. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're not eating people. So um, it was started by contaminated produce in Mexico, like at a market or something. Oh, and so, mean. yeah, I, like I know. Produce. I love <laughs> produce. So all these people like eating salads um, didn't have a good day. No, <laughs> no, guess not. So the book starts off with this young woman. Um, we find out I, she goes by her name like one time. Her name's Mia, but she's never called Mia again. And she is at her big office in, they're in Iowa. And someone tries to attack her outside of the women's restroom. And she ends up like <laughs> having, it's like this lady from accounting. And she's like, what is happening? She was like totally confused. So she manages to get out of her office and starts driving home with another coworker. And there ends up like, being a pileup as there usually is in a zombie apocalypse book and oh, they yes. have to leave the car and run 
and oh, they do. they're running and there's a pack of zombies and she sees this big semi truck ahead of her and she comes running and like jumps up on the running board of the truck and she's like please let me in let me in and the truck driver lets her in <clears throat> and her coworker as well and from that moment on he starts calling her cash because she is dressed all in black you know oh. like Johnny Cash the man in black. <laughs> yes. And his he goes by the name Clutch. <laughs> I know it sounds silly. Oh my God. Cash and Clutch. I know, I know. It sounds like it's dumb, but I'm telling you, she so the girl is like just a normal girl. She's, you know, not like a prepper. She's not like a fighter. She doesn't know how to use a gun. And she ends up going with Clutch to his house. And it's just the two of them after a certain point. And Clutch says like you can stay there for the night but then I'm having you I'm I'm taking you you know you're not staying here I'm not going to feed you and take care of you but of course it they it one day turns into you know more days and it's a it's the books are just I like them as much as I like the Sarah Lyons Fleming books um all the stars in the sky until the end of the world and all the stars oh, in the yes. sky and after yes I love them and the writing I felt was really good in these books. And of course, you know, they're like the people just trying to survive and then the people who want to steal their stuff. And then there are lots of great and grisly zombies. And um, it's, if you read it in audio, which I did, it, you can actually on Audible get it for one credit. It's a three book bundle, all for one credit. Oh, nice. Which the is the Deadland Saga. And they call it the Deadlands Saga. Yeah. And it's just really well written. Um, it's very, it's, it, it's wrapped up very nicely at the end. Um, the endings of the books, though, I will tell you, if you're going to be interested in reading them, you may want to read them like together, like have them all purchased at the same time because she ends them on cliffhangers, the first two books. It's, and I hate uh, when people do that, but her writing was so good. And I was so thankful to have all three of them. We got our brother to read them. And he sometimes, and he likes apocalypse books too, but he sometimes makes fun of like ours because ours have a lot of feelings in them. And he really enjoyed, <laughs> he, he enjoyed them. And um, so there's a little bit of romance, but it's not necessarily a romance themed book. But I just, I really, so really. she doesn't like magically fall in love with Clutch like two days in and. She does not no. magically fall in love okay, with Clutch. Good. And you learn <laughs> all about like Clutch and why he's the way he is. And, um, it's just, I, I, I really can't tell you too much of the plot because it will give away other things that you can't know about in the books, but I just felt that she, her, the way she wrote them was very clever. Stacey, do you, would you agree with me? I would just say the thing that I liked about this whole trilogy is it's smart characters, not getting yes. themselves into stupid situations. Oh, and it's, it really is a portrait of survival and, you know, there is a sort of undertone of romance kind of further into the books, but um, certainly like this is a book about people surviving and doing what they have to do to stay alive in this new world. And, you know, we've all read this book a million times, right? You know, yeah, and but it I, doesn't matter. But for whatever reason, she did it in a way that made it fresh and interesting. And like, when you start out reading it, you're like, what the hell? This like started from taco salad, like what? And like, you know, it's kind of silly. Like you're laughing because she kills the first zombie she sees with the wet floor wet sign floor in the women's restroom. Like she's like, <laughs> it's like what is this? Like, and so I'm thinking this was going to be a really fluffy, like silly trilogy. And it was yeah, absolutely harder to not. kill zombies. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how you do that with a wet floor sign, but, um, but I'll tell you, this was, um, this was one of the best. It's in my top three series right up there with yeah. the Sarah Lyons Fleming and also the Jailborn Day by Day Armageddon. I mean, it's good like those two. So that's what I'll say about that. So wow. if you like zombie books, you might actually like to try this one. Yeah. <laughs> really good. You, sh- you should check out A Hundred Days in Deadland by Rachel Aukis and the two that follow it. Really great. You have a theme going, Sarah, and I kind of like it. So I'm also going to talk about the dead, but in a a slightly different way. So this will surprise absolutely no one, but Whisper Hollow is back and I am absolutely ecstatic. (laughs) Wait, wait, I'm sorry. Could you please remind us what that is? Because I don't think any of your loyal followers know. Whisper Whisper Hollow. So Whisper Hollow is a series written by the always fabulous Yasmin Gallinorn. Who's and that? No, I'm just kidding. She, <laughs> it starts out with Autumn Thorns. And I downloaded that on Audible, actually, the other Yay! day. I bought three extra credits just so I could go and download them. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> and so it's Autumn Thorns and then Shadow Silence and The Phantom Queen are the three that are available right now. These are what she calls contemporary dark, dark contemporary fantasy. So a little bit like urban fantasy, a little bit of paranormal romance, but just this lush, dark, alluring world. So our main character is a woman named Karis Fellwater. Yes, yes. And Karis is a spirit shaman. She is a member of one of these nine families who all serve the goddess Morrigan in various capacities um, throughout the world. And Karis's job is to make sure that the dead don't walk. She must keep them in their graves. Which can be a challenge. Yes. So Whisper Hollow has some very specific rules. And if you visit the town, it's very important to know them. And I'm not going to tell you all of them, but some of them are things like try not to end up in the hospital because bad things happen there. Um, If you see the girl in the window, set your affairs in order. Oh, dear. Um, If you hear someone calling your name from deep in the woods... Don't answer. So Karis left home. (laughs) Karis left Whisper Hollow 15 years before the story opened. And she hasn't wanted to come back. But when her grandparents are killed, she has to because she has to take up her post as spirit shaman. So she returns to this little town. Um, It's a fictional town set on Lake Crescent in, um, in Washington State. And she begins kind of to settle into her post as spirit shaman. But as she does this, she begins to learn that things in Whisper Hollow are a little darker, a little creepier, and a little more unsettled than she remembers them being. So she gathers people around her, um, her best friend, Pegan, and her um, love interest, who is also her guardian, who's a shapeshifter named Brian. Oh, he's and cute few other people and they all work together to kind of bring Whisper Hollow 
back to its normal state. And I can't tell you all the things that make Whisper Hollow like abnormal at this moment because I think that spoils a lot of um, a lot of what happens in these books. But this is a really like it, it's a fast moving, very dark series. So if you you know don't want if you like your fantasy light and fluffy, um, you're not going to enjoy the world of Whisper Hollow. But if you like things that are dark, um, a little bit sexy, and just really, really original, there are all these characterizations of the dead, like the types of dead that there are. Um, so it's like you're not just dealing with like one kind of spirit. People fall into various categories. Um, and it's just really fantastic. There are three books out so far. The Phantom Queen just came out at the beginning of February. And there will be more um, coming later this year and into next year. But I'm so glad that she picked the series back up. She was on a hiatus for a while. And I'm so glad it's back. So this is Autumn Thorns. It starts off the Whisper Hollow series by Yasmin Gallinorn. Um, this one she has republished all of them now um, under her own brand of Night Queen Enterprises. You can still get the original version of Autumn Thorns on Audible, or you can get the new one on Kindle and iBooks and wherever else you get your books. Um, they are available in print from Amazon or ebook, wherever. And I'm, I'm so excited. I want everyone to read these. So again, it's the Whisper Hollow series by Yasmin Gallinorn. Do you think the next few will come out on Audible or do you think they won't? They won't. Um, oh. Since she's publishing indie now, the cost of producing and paying a narrator um, would have to come directly from her. Mm. And that's just, it wouldn't make like good business sense to do that. <laughs> When she published it before, it was when she was still writing for Penguin. Right. And so they... Cassandra um, Campbell on Audible. She read Yes. It. She was... Yes. It was phenomenal. Stay, Sochi. Yes. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit so we're not talking more about dead? the undead. Well, I have one of those, but I'm going to wait so it's not all in a row. Okay. Um, so I read a book just recently that really was... I was looking at books um, a few weeks ago for the dual timeline episode because I was trying to find something that was not World War II, but, you know, so many of the dual timeline books were World War II. But as I was searching, um, <clears throat> this book kept popping up in, like, different recommendations, and oh, um, so I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know why it did because it's not dual timeline, but um, it's called The German Midwife by Mandy Robotham. <clears throat> and this book is not for the faint of heart. It this is not a Sarah have, book. Um, no, no, <laughs> it's not. Um, it, so this book is part historical fiction and part what if. Um, it, it sort of is a little bit of... Um, it Somebody sort of needs plays, to fix their cord. Well, it sort of plays with history just a little bit. So... In 1939, Anka, who is a German midwife, was working in a hospital in Germany, um, and she is approached by the Nazi party and told that if any babies are born in the hospital with any sort of abnormality, which by today's terms means like disability, 
Um, and they actually gave her a list of things like deformities, uh, uh, blindness, deafness, um, and a, a couple other things, but they flat out said those things. Um, or if a, if a Jewish mother came in and tried to have a child there, um, she was to report these things to the Nazi party. Mm-hmm. Anka, her entire life is about no matter who the woman is, no matter her background, her belief system, if she's um, a saint or a sinner, Anka is there to give her the best birth experience possible. And she does not judge anyone for anything. She just wants the woman and the baby to have a moment together. She said, it doesn't matter who you are when you're, when you're in the middle of giving birth, every woman is the same. And so she does not report. She for sure knew that one child was blind. Um, There was a child with, um, some deformity in his legs and she basically shuffled them out of the hospital super quick by saying that um, like a a relative had died and the woman had to leave with her baby. Um, And so anyway, she continues this and she continues going into the Jewish side of town and um, helping um, the Jewish people, not only as a midwife, but just with, you know, kind of minor medical issues that they might be experiencing. They have like a, um, a makeshift medical clinic set up. Well, anyway, um, this comes as, as one would expect. Um, her activities are noted by the Nazi party, and she is taken off to the Ravensbrück-Ravensbrück um, concentration camp. And she tries to keep a really low profile there, but what ends up happening is um, in the middle of a work day, um, and, you know, the women were, were whipped if they did not sew fast enough or whatever, and um, there were other punishments. But in the middle of her workday, a woman a few uh, people down the row from her is in active labor. And so then Anka decides to help her. And from that, camp officials realize that she is a midwife. And so she becomes the official camp midwife. Um, they have a little clinic set up there, but they won't allow Jewish women to come into the clinic. It's only for non-Jewish um, prisoners. And so she ends up going to like different huts around the camp and, and delivering babies. And it was pretty dreadful. I mean, what um, what happened to um, babies of Jewish mothers um, is something that I won't go into. It was not good. But in 1944, she is um, asked to go um, to tend to um, to attend someone very high up in the Nazi party um, who is uh, pregnant and wants her to remain throughout the pregnancy and through labor. And when she arrives at her destination, malnourished and full of rice, rice, full of lice and other rice, (laughs) yes. Um, Full of lice and other vermin and all these things. I mean, she's very obviously, you know, been in a camp, but when she arrives, um, she realizes that the person that she will be, taking care of during pregnancy and birth is none other than Eva Brown, who is Hitler's mistress. And this is where sort of like the alternative history or, you know, total fiction comes in because there's no record, obviously that Hitler ever had a child. Thank you, God. Um, But, you know, so this whole story is about her dilemma of, you know, what do I do? Do I compromise my principles? Because having, Hitler having a child would just be astronomically terrible or can I even do that? And can I, or, or do I support this woman because in pregnancy and in labor, she is like any other woman. And so that is the plot of this book. And it was very intense and hard to read in parts. 
and beautiful and just, I don't know, I, I read it a week ago and I can't stop thinking about it. Um, so if you want something that isn't my usual, um, like happily ever after, but is lovely nonetheless, um, I would encourage you to pick up The German Midwife by Mandy Robotham. I don't. On my iPad. I am going to take the theme back to, I guess they're not considered dead. They're considered the undead. <laughs> Vampires. Vampires. Um, I so love them. There is this relatively new author. His name is Hunter Blaine, and he is a Texan. And so his books take place in Texas, and I love it. Um, but he writes about a vampire named John Cook. <laughs> and John, um, yeah, but the, this, and what makes these books, and I did not learn this until later, but it, it even if you know this um, about the prequel, the books are written in memory of a good friend of his, John. John Cook. Well, I don't think his last name was actually Cook, but his name was John. Um, and John actually passed away in the, in the, while Hunter was writing these books, um, or getting ready to write these books because he had asked him, he said, you know, I, I want to be in one of your books, put me in one of your books. And so while he was coming up with the, the series, um, his friend passed away. And so every character in his book is a, represents a person in a small group of friends that him and John had. And so it kind of gives me a, a different outlook on the books because he says that he really tries to put their personalities into the characters. So, um, what I'm, the book I'm going to talk about is the prequel and it's very short and it's very good. It's called deliverance. It is the preternatural series by Hunter Blaine, B L A I N. And, um, so John was turned into a vampire centuries and centuries ago. He was a boy in Ireland, um, and his, they were just typical humans. His parents were killed, and then he was turned. But he decided, after doing so much bad in his life, after becoming a vampire, um, you know, killing just for the thrill of it, that he was going to start using his vampiric nature for good. So when this book starts out, he is actually trailing a would-be rapist. And um, he, he takes down this guy and ultimately saves this girl that this guy is chasing. And what he's doing this because all the bad he's done, he's hoping that if he uses his power for good, that when he does die, he can go to heaven. And it just so happens that he comes across this priest um, who uses some magic to try to, to bound him, bind him, I guess it's the right word, um, to bind him and take him down, but he fights back. The priest that he comes across um, after he takes down this rapist, they end up 
um, trying to figure out how they can work together to um, use his vampiric nature for good and take down the evil. Um, because this priest has spent his life fighting the evil. Um, and so the prequel takes place centuries after, or yeah, the prequel uh, is centuries after he has changed, but book one takes you back. Um, it's, I think it would be kind of considered a dual timeline because the, each chapter flicks back between when he was changed and present day. So Ooh. it is, it is a very, very good story. It's a very good um, plot. What I will say is that um, you have to read these in audio. Um, they are on Audible. There will be 13 books. Um, I think there's three of them out right now, including the prequel. So there's book one, two, and the prequel. Um, they take place in Texas. Luke Daniel reads them. He does an amazing job with the voices. Oh, he's so good. And yes, I love Luke Daniels. And um, it, there is a ton. If you're, if sarcasm and quick wit gets to you after a while, these are going to be interesting for people to read because John is full of sarcasm and um what is the word i'm like quick wit yes but cliches and he loves movie references and (laughs) all kinds of things so um but it it is awesome it is really a different um vampire a different way of looking at vampires because i mean while you know black dagger is all about reading the world of evil but i think it's different um and I've really enjoyed it. I've loved the humor. I've loved the the action and all of it. It's just amazing to read. And like I said, knowing that it involves very close friends of his, personalities of friends of his, really kind of gives you a different outlook on the characters altogether. But it it's amazing. So this is Deliverance, the prequel in the Preternatural series by Hunter Blaine and uh, Shannon, I think we said we would put his website in the um, podcast notes. And there's also a Facebook group for what he calls the Johnny X. Um, (laughs) And it, it's pretty cool. People love, we like talking about John in there. So pick it up, pick it up, pick it up. (laughs) I kind of like the idea of a, priest and a vampire like teaming up yeah it's like that's like very cool to me it it is really interesting it's very very cool and the church that they're in is like all this like really old gothic run down it it sounds awesome (laughs) with bats (laughs) in the belfry Uh, i'm not sure if they have any bats in their belfry or not but probably <laughs> it sounds very you know gothic church with bats yeah there's the gargoyles and stuff on the church Ooh, and it, gargoyles but it's, yeah quasimodo cool. ringing the bells huh. <laughs> all right Sarah. i'm gonna change gears again no more no more sadness well actually this this book is very sad but um 
no more. This is more of just a, a romance, but a, a darker romance. But so last week I put a very frantic post in the Audible Romance group and said, I have read all these really good books. I'm trying to find a good hero with lots of depth. I like it when they have some scars. You know, Beauty and the Beast, Phantom of the Opera undertones would be great. And somebody recommended an author named Carrion Cole. And I've seen Carrion Cole's book several times, but when you look at the synopsis, when you look at like the Seems. synopsis of the book, synopses, like they're very vague. And I'm like, oh, I can't tell. I don't know. So the book I'm going to talk about today is called Tied, like all tied up. But it's, don't worry, they don't tie people up in interesting ropes and that's the whole book. And um, <laughs> it's, it's a little bit darker of a romance, but what I'm going to say a little bit more about what I like about it in a minute. But my favorite thing about this book is that a lot of darker romances are also extremely angsty with a lot of like, like angry, mean characters thrown in to try to like get in between the characters. And the, this book did not have that at all. It was a lot more about the relationship building and less about the angst with a very difficult storyline. So this book is called Tide. And the main character, the hero, is a recluse who lives in the woods outside of town. The other thing is that you find out in the beginning is he has a lot of trouble speaking. But I'm not going to tell you why. Because it's a big part of the book. So Tyler is the main character. And he um, is out in the woods one morning he's trying to track he keeps hearing this sound and he thinks he his mom owns a, an animal rescue and so he does a lot of tracking of like dogs that were either abandoned or like ran off in the woods and he doesn't take the credit he gives it to people who will get them back to their owners but that's like his he works with animals really well so he's out in the woods and he hears this weird sound like yep yep it's like a weird sound and he realizes that what he's hearing sounds like a dog that's been debarked where they do something to their vocal cords so they can't bark. So he follows the sound and he finds like in the forest floor, like around, like, like a cover, like a door, but like, like over say like a well, it's not a well, but like that, that type of thing. Like a manhole in the forest. Kind of, <laughs> uh. but not really. So he pulls the <laughs> lid off and looks down and there is a girl down at the bottom of this hole and she's holding this little dog in her arms and she's terrified. Oh. And he has like a long, like, like a rope leash on his belt, you know, for when he finds, you know, the animals and so he's able to drop it down to her and she grabs it and he pulls her out of this hole and he's able to say something to her, but his voice is like extremely like raspy and he has a hard time getting words out. He calls 911 and says, there's a girl in a hole and he like, it took him a long time to get the words out. Like it's very hard for him. Mm -hmm. And, um, after, after he, you know, gives them the directions to where they're at, a man comes up behind him with a knife and is going to kill him. And he defends himself 
realizing because the girl looks terrified that this is the man that's been keeping her in the hole. And he chokes him. So when the police get there, this girl's little dog got scared, jumped out of her arms and ran off into the woods. So what the police see when they get there is the girl yelling, get him. And oh, they're no. running in the woods. He's, he's running after the girl who's running after the dog. So it looks like, you know, Tyler's like chasing her, chasing but her. He's, he's not, he's trying to help her catch the dog. So he's holding into custody and this girl is hauled off to the hospital and she is like terrified, terrified, terrified. She was kidnapped um, when she was five and now she's like 16 and she's been kept like in this hole or in a basement where she, all she has. So when she was kidnapped, she had a backpack on. She was at the park with her friend, her little, you know, five-year-old friend. I don't know why five-year-old to be at the park alone, but I don't know. And, um, <laughs> at the playground and her backpack has her fairy tale books in it. So that's all she's had her whole growing up life are these fairy tale books. And she retreats into her fairy tales and she just knows that someone's going to come for her. So she, this might be annoying to some people. She thinks of him as her prince. She thinks he's beautiful. Um, he has a lot of burns on his face and she just thinks he's beautiful. And she keeps calling him her prince and like, the doctors are like, that's not who that is. His name is Tyler. And um, she just doesn't get it. So Tyler, like, finally gets to go home from the police station. They figure out that he was protecting the girl. Um, her parents come to the hospital, and she's scared of them. Because she hasn't seen, you know, she's only been with this awful man since she was five. And they go to touch, like, they go to hug her, and she, like, doesn't know what to do. And her brother is there and tries to talk to her and she's just terrified. And she acts in some ways like a five-year-old. Like she's just like so traumatized and so afraid. So they end up, her parents end up not taking her home. They end up sending her to a, like an inpatient, like trauma center where it's all about like group therapy and counseling and learning how to like reintegrate after you've lived through something really awful. So a couple of years go by. Um, sadly, her parents really are not involved in her life. She never goes to visit. They don't, I mean, they don't invite her to visit. They make excuses. So she's been kind of alone for a couple of years. I mean, they talk to her on the phone and stuff, but um, not like I would be if I found my long lost child. Let's just put it that way. And so she, um, is starting to come back and do some things in the world with her roommate from the center. Cause now she's considered like she lives there and she, but she's technically graduated from the program, but she like lives at this place and she's still getting a lot of counseling. And the beautiful thing about this book that I really like is that in some, I feel like in some books, like two years later, you know, all of a sudden they're like totally normal and like, whatever I was kidnapped. And sometimes I get a little afraid, but it's okay. Like I'm a totally normal girl now. That's not it for her at all. She has like horrible PTSD and panic attacks and, but she works really, really hard on trying to be appropriate and have the right filter and speak correctly and do these things. And so she's out with her roommate one day, they go like to get a latte. She hasn't had a latte before and they're going back to the center and she sees this guy on a motorcycle next to her. They're in the car 
and she just knows it's her prince. She can see his eyes. She knows it's him. And so it's kind of a lot of different events happen and I don't want to give it too much away where they meet. And the beautiful thing about this story is it's a story about two people who are very damaged in different ways. You know, Tyler, Tyler was burned severely in a fire. And then another thing happened, which I'm not going to go into because it's a big part of the book where he, um, his, like his larynx, is that right? Your throat, you know, Mm -hmm. was damaged very badly. And so, you know, his voice will never be like, it's real raspy. He has a hard time getting the words out. And, you know, our, our heroine, she, um, just went through like this horrific thing. And it's how these two damaged souls become friends and slowly, slowly their relationship deepens. Um, And it's just the most beautiful story. And there are things that in a lot of other romance tropes, like the nasty parents who figure out a way because he's not right for her to break them up or the friend that comes in and, you know, like there are all those things that can happen where it like breaks up the relationship. And this book, that is not a part of it at all. It's all about these two people that come together and, and learn to trust each other and, and learn to feel comfortable going back into the world because she's known as the girl in the hole. And he's known as like the freak. And it was probably one of my most favorite books I've read in years. I thought the writing was beautiful. Um, She is very, the author is very into animal rescue. So in every single one of her books, there are um, animals that have like, that need to be rescued or have been rescued. And, and it's, she's just such a good writer. So if you want to read a fantastic, slightly dark, but very beautifully written romance. You really should pick up Tide by Carrie and Cole. I think I will. All right. So my next pick is a dark romantic thriller. This is Verity by Colleen Hoover. And this is not a Sarah book. Um, I've I've seen so much about it, though. I know. No, absolutely not. No, it's not a Sarah book. Okay, thank you for telling me. It is not a Sarah book. You you will be deeply, deeply distressed. Okay, Um, thank you, Shannon. (laughs) So this is Verity by Colleen Hoover, and I'm not a Colleen Hoover fan. Normally, I read, I don't even know what I read, Ugly Love, maybe, and I hated it. I hated it so much. But Brooke and Natalia have been telling me to try Verity that it's not like anything else she's written and it's so amazing. And so one night I did and I read it in a single night and I'm so glad I picked it up. So our main character is a woman named Lowen and she's an author. She's kind of struggling. She's written a few things and people know who she is, but she's not like super famous, super well-known. So she's very surprised when she is asked to come to this meeting with the husband of a really famous author named Verity Crawford. And she doesn't understand like why these people are talking to her, like what does she have that they could, they could want. And as it turns out, Verity has been injured 
in an accident and she is unable to continue writing this very well-known series that she's been writing for years. And the publisher wants Lowen to continue the series under like a pseudonym. So she agrees to do this because they offer her just a really great deal like to do this. And so she says, okay. So she goes to Verity's house and is going through her paperwork and, you know, trying to kind of get like a handle on the series and understand the characters and knowing some things about Verity so that she can try to match her writing style as much as possible. But what she finds instead is a totally different manuscript. And it appears to be a manuscript about Verity's life and her marriage to this man named Jeremy, who is uh, someone that, that Lowen is very attracted to kind of in spite of herself. So we move from like Lowen's time in Verity's house to the actual manuscript that Verity has written about her her life and her marriage. And it is a super twisted, very disturbing story that I can't tell you too much more about <laughs> without totally uh, spoiling it for you. But I will say that if child abuse bothers you, um, you don't want to read this. If you don't like your sex scenes to be kind of graphic, um, you don't want to read this. This is definitely, I would almost call it like an erotic thriller. Um, it definitely has a romance, but it's, it's very, very dark and ever so twisty. Um, I really loved it. It's short. If you read it from Audible, it's a little bit over eight hours. Um, but it is, it is phenomenal. It's probably the only Colleen Hoover book I will ever read because nothing else that she's written is, is like this. In fact, she published this one herself, um, I guess because the, the publisher that does her romance novels wasn't interested in it. Um, so she published it herself and it is incredible if you are the person, if, you, if you're the kind of person who enjoys like these darker thrillers. So this is Verity. And it's by Colleen Hoover, and I love it so much. So I think I'll stay in the sort of dark. Um, I'm going to talk about my, my post-apocalyptic book now. Yay! Because um, I think that's the best way to follow Shannon's twisty thriller. Um, so I was actually, um, I'm in a wonderful Facebook group called Apocaladies. Um, and it's made up, <laughs> isn't that great? And it's I need to join that. Of, yeah, it's really that fun. It's made up. Of awesome. a bunch of different authors and fans of apocalyptic fiction. And um, so um, an author, Claire C. Riley, um, posted in this group and asked if anybody was interested in getting a free audio copy um, of her first uh, book in a series. It's called Odium. And of course, I was like, sweet, audio, because, you know, you always like get these contests and you get offered like, but it's never audio. So yeah. um, I got a free copy, but this book has been on my radar for a while. So the book is called Odium and it's by Claire C. Riley. And this book is interesting because it takes place about three years after the zombie uprising. Um, and there are these walled cities that are uh, supposedly there to protect those, the survivors of the zombie apocalypse. And um, in, within this walled city, there is 
much deprivation um, unless you as a leader. And um, Nina lives behind the walls. And for the last, you know, amount of time, she's been, um, all the people behind the wall are like starving and they have to either barter um, things or make a trade or use a skill set. But Nina doesn't feel like she has a skill set that's going to support the apocalypse. So she's been basically um, using her body to eat. And it's just been a very miserable existence. Well, at the beginning of the book, the leader decides that he is going to um, throw a young girl out of the walls, out of the city for stealing some bread that was meant to feed the pigs. It was moldy bread. So it's sort of like a Jean Valjean. I'm I was just going to say, is it like yeah. <laughs> right? For a loaf of bread, 19 years, he served his time. No. So um, anyway, this young girl, Emily, they're going to throw her out of the city. And Nina for whatever reason, finally decides enough is enough. And she's the only one that's going to speak for this girl. And all the other people are too afraid to stand up for what is right. So Nina ends up leaving behind the walled city with, with Emily Rose. And this book kind of chronicles the beginnings of their journey through, you know, the undead territory that is zombie infested America. And you know, um, I really enjoyed this book a lot. There's a lot of action. There's gory zombies. Um, Nina can kind of be a pain in the ass um, as she's learning things and a little, you roll your eyes at her sometimes. But what I like about her character is um, through sort of coming to care for this girl and wanting to protect her and, you know, she meets some other people along the way. And through all that, she sort of rediscovers her humanity. Um, and she sort of grows as a character, um, and continues to grow through the story arc. I read this book on Tuesday and now it's Thursday and I'm on book three. So, um, <laughs> I cannot it's, wait. It's, yeah. It's really good. I mean, if, if you're a really hardcore, um, you know, uh, zombie apocalypse fan, um, this book is, um, classified. There's a lot of romance in it. And um, there's some things in it that aren't necessarily 100% accurate. Like um, the cars after three years can still drive. Like the gas is not, you know, going bad or anything like that. And so there's just a couple little things that I was kind of like, oh. But, you know, it did not, for me, detract from my enjoyment of, um, of the story and the characters and the disgusting, disgusting, rotting zombies that they have to encounter. And there's some really, really really bad people um, in the world now who are not invited into the walled city who um, were like the dregs of society, like rapists and murderers. And they're sort of out to, you know, pillage all they can. And um, Nina has an encounter with them as well. So it's just a, it's a really good book. Um, I really enjoyed it. And like I said, I must have, because now it's Thursday and I'm on book three. So this is Odium. <laughs> um, the, the dead saga, the dead, Oh God, I forgot. Oh my God. <laughs> um, I'm just going to say it's um, Odium book one and it's by Claire C. Riley and I'm blanking on, I think it's the, um, see Sarah's talking about the Deadland saga. I think this is just the dead, the dead series. There's a um, lot of books about zombies that have the word dead in them. So then it gets confusing if you're trying to yes. talk about multiple books about zombies. Yeah. yeah I, I, I really enjoy these books and um, they're just, they're fun. They're deep enough to be interesting, but, um, you know, they're just a good time. Good zombie, good zombie fiction. 
So this book and the series in general gives me all the feels, all of them. I love Nalini Singh. I love her side changeling series. Every single book has just gotten better and better and better and better. I totally agree. Yes. I love Nalini Singh. So this, I'm going to talk about book 13 because out of all, I'm on 15 now, but out of all of them that I have read, 13 is by far my favorite. And it is called Shield of Winter. And it is Vasic's story, V-A-S-I-C. Narrator calls him Vasic, but there is no H there. Um, so this is Vasic and Ivy's story. And Vasic is one of the Psy that has been trained to be what they call an arrow. So they're pretty much the Psy killing machines. Um, but, and if you get to book 13, you, you'll already know this. So the silence is something that they are now fighting in the Psy world. And, um, Vasek has been trained to be an arrow, but he is also, he's had to work very hard. Even he's not fully silent. So he feels, but he's, he doesn't feel, he doesn't know what it is, I guess is the best way to put it. Cause he feels, but he's, he knows he's not supposed to. So he's, he's, he doesn't. <laughs> Silence um, is like the absence of all emotion. Yeah. But a lot of, a lot of the side that were supposedly conditioned to silence still feel they just since they aren't supposed to, they don't really know what it is because they've been trained from such a young age that they don't even know what emotion is. Um, So Vasek is, is an arrow and he has done a lot of bad things in his life. And he thinks that he should be held accountable and that he just is beyond redemption. Um, And Ivy is a sigh that um, was conditioned into silence, but she broke silence and then was reconditioned. And she's just had to rebuild her life because it didn't truly stick. She's had to fight really hard to not feel as well, though she does. And the reason she does is because she's an empath. She feels everybody's emotion. Um, and so these, these two have to work together because the fall of silence and they're trying to make a new life for all the Psy. Um, and of course, of course, this is a love story. Nalini is great at weaving it all together. Um, there's quite a bit of, uh, friskiness in her books (laughs) that's putting it nicely um so this is about a a man who has to find his way to love he doesn't feel like he can be loved ivy's an empath and all she wants to do is heal his broken emotions and and teach him that he can 
be loved and he can love and he can and he can come back that he was that he is not uh, fully responsible for all the bad he has done and Vasek is a very strong uh, what do they call it Uh, telepath no teleporter and telekinetic he's like he is the strongest of of those two designations which is not is very rarely heard of and so you know he with this with his power he feels that he just can't be um he can't do the fall of silence so they come together they learn to love they learn to fight for their races they work with the changelings which i need a changeling in my life especially changelings are great yeah I, <laughs> I need a panther in my life um but you know it's it's great to see all the emotion in her books. I love it. You feel the sadness. You feel the overwhelming love. You've mm-hmm. got these badass characters that can go from kicking your ass to taking your name later. And <coughs> then in the next second, they're holding their lover gently in their arms and feeling all the love and, and protection. <gasps> and it's I just so love beautiful her. the way she writes it. It really it is. is. And, and the changelings, the changelings, I love the changelings. I don't mean to interrupt you, but they're, they're like, they can shift into their animals if people haven't read Nalini Singh before. And so there are like the wolves and the leopards. But yes, there's so many different changelings that you learn about, but it just no matter which, um, I, I don't know, race, I guess, uh, that you're, that you're reading about because there's books about that focus on the changelings and there's books that focus on the side, but there's always everybody's in all the books. And I love that you don't lose characters, um, but it doesn't become overwhelming. So I, I just, I highly recommend Nalini Singh's side changeling series. Um, book one slave to sensation. Like I said, this is book 13 shield of winter. It's, you just you have to read it if you love the love and love the. I, there's just not Horse enough heroes. words. Yeah, there's just not enough words to describe this series. It's I don't like know what epic. I'm gonna do. It the is world it building. It's like so like I want to go back so epic. All right, so Sarah. let's let's change gears and talk we about keep doing that. I, I love this <laughs> episode. Just wait because. When I say the title of this book, you are all going to laugh, and then you're going to say, what the heck? Why would I want to read this book? It is called... What the heck? Why do I want to read it? You haven't even heard the name. (laughs) (laughs) It is called Atticus, A Woman's Journey with the World's Worst Behaved Dog. I need to read this book. Why the heck would I want to read that? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. It's by Sawyer Bennett. She wrote it under um, another name, S. Bennett. Why do people do that? I I don't don't know, know. but I don't care because this book was so good. This was, this will definitely be on my top reads of this year. And the book um, starts off and um, there is a young woman. She's like 32 
and she's kind of like low in life. You know, she's not doing well. She's like staying at a friend's apartment, sleeping on her old couch. She wakes up and there are like all these beer cans and a bong and all this stuff on the coffee table. And she's Ooh. got eight bucks in her pocket left and she's going to go to the corner store or to the convenience store and she's going to buy a pack of smokes and a coffee because that's all she has money for. So she gets up and she looks awful. She looks like death on a cracker. You know, she's all hung over. <laughs> she looks terrible. And she like shuffles off. She's going to go down to the store and get her coffee and her smokes. But on her way to the store, she's walking along the highway um, because when she got divorced and her husband threw her out because he was cheating on her with someone else, her car died. So she has to walk everywhere because she doesn't have money to afford a car. And she's walking along the highway and she hears this noise down in a ditch and like a, like a whining, yelping noise. And she goes, and at first she's going to walk on by and not even look. And she's like, no, I'll, I'll just check it out. Like what the hell? So she goes down into this ditch and in this muddy ditch is this puppy and he's all wrapped up in barbed wire. He can't move. I mean, he's probably been there for days. Like he's all emaciated. He looks really like, and he's little, like, not eight weeks old yet. So she debates for a second. Like if I try to get him out of here, he's probably going to die anyway. Should I just leave him here to die or should I try, try to help him? So she kind of begrudgingly decides to help him and she kind of gets him out of the barbed wire and he's kind of bleeding on her. And she walks to a vet clinic and she's sitting on the steps with this puppy in her arms. And he's like, just, Oh my God, like the most pathetic looking thing ever. And she's sitting there waiting. And for some reason, she just, she feels like she just needs to like be with the puppy, even though she's, she's kind of thinking it might be dead. And she waits for the vet to pull up in his car. And this older gentleman gets out with a cane and he's like, (laughs) kind of like limping to the door and he's got his cane and he's the vet. And he's like, ah, the best thing you could do for this dog is put it to sleep. If you can't afford to pay for it, you know, the, the kindest thing would be to put him to sleep. Look at all this blood. He's going to need, he's going to need things. And she, for some reason, feels very protective of this puppy. And she said, I'll, I'll work for you. I'll do whatever. So she, he is going to treat this puppy and have her work off like the cost. And she finds out that the puppy is a Bernese mountain dog. <laughs> and at first she like thinks she did her good deed and she's going to leave him with the vet and everything's going to be fine. And the vet says to her, I can't keep this dog. I can't keep this dog. Like if you're not going to keep him, like he's going to go to a shelter. And that really, really bothers her. So she ends up taking this puppy back to the apartment that she's living in. Um, it's, she lives and her friend really likes the puppy, but her friend's boyfriend who they described in the beginning during his sexual excitement made very unpleasant high yipping noises. <laughs> oh my God. Dear. <laughs> Which made me laugh really hard. Um, doesn't want the puppy there, but she like pleads. And so the puppy stays with her and she's a bartender at night. So she like sneaks the puppy into the stock room at the bar. So, because she, and it's not like, you know, it's not like, oh, it's my emotional support animal. She just like has to have him with her because he's like a little puppy and she needs to like take him out and stuff. So it's, you know, she's very down on her luck and she's very like, just not doing well in life. 
And it's the story of how rescuing this puppy brings all of these people and opportunities into her life that she never would have had if she had not rescued this puppy. And it is, oh my God, it is seriously one of the most beautifully written stories. And it's funny. I like full on like cackle guffawed snorted at work the other day reading it. It was so (laughs) embarrassing. It was so loud. Um, It's a really, really well-written book. There is a tiny bit of romance, but the beauty about it is she always, this girl always defined herself um, on like how she was treated by men. So she's been looking for love her whole life, but not like that's how she would measure her self-worth. And so the book is about her becoming a pretty cool person and like getting comfortable in herself and learning like that she has gifts and talents and all these things to share with the world. And then there's a little bit of romance, but um, I don't want to give too much away, but the veterinarian, I just, Oh my God. Like you think he's like this kind of curmudgeonly mean, like, and Oh God, it's just so good. And um, there's just a lot of beautiful, like how I like it. Um, There are like, there is some biological family, blood family that, comes back into the scene, but there's also, um, my favorite kind where they, they bring family, found family. Yeah. They bring these random people together and she builds a little family. And I just, I did not want this book to end. Um, if you read it in audio, which I would highly recommend if you're ever going to read one book in audio in your life, you should read this one. It's read by the most amazing narrator, Bonnie Turpin, who's I love amazing. Her. Yes. Oh, she's so good. But she, um, this book has a few chapters in in the dog's perspective. Oh, cool! And it's not stupid. It's super great. Like, it's so well written, like a dog. But there are a couple times, like where he'll yelp or growl, <laughs> and like <laughs> Bonnie Turpin does such a good job reading the dog. <laughs> Oh my God. Like it is just the most amazing book from start to finish. Um, I cried on the bus reading it. Um, I will tell you, I'm not giving anything away, but basically every book about an amazing dog, the dog dies in the book. The dog gets old in the book. The dog does not die. And I'm not giving anything away by saying that. So I loved it even more because I kept waiting for the dog to die. And like, I love this dog so much. And I was like, oh, Atticus can't die because, oh, what are we going to do? And it just was, it was so good. I mean, I could really, really, I liked all the other books I've talked about, but this book is by far my favorite. It was just so beautifully written. If you read one great feel good book, but it's not like a fluffy feel good book. If you read one great feel good book this year, you have to read Atticus a woman's journey with the world's worst behaved dog. You just, you, it's by Sawyer Bennett writing as S Bennett. You will not regret for one second picking up this book. So my last pick tonight is the first book in Jennifer Eastep's crown of shards series. This is kill the queen. And people are probably the most familiar with her from her elemental assassin series, which is urban fantasy at its best. This is a little bit different. It has more of a high fantasy feel. Um, It follows a woman named Evie. Her actual name is Everly, but she goes by Evie. She's 28, and she is 17th in line for the throne of this land in which she lives. 
And she's kind of a poor relation to the royal family. Um, her parents were murdered when she was young, and she just kind of is like the, the royal gopher. She does all these things for her for her cousins, who are the actual um, rulers of the land. But then someone stages a coup, and most of the royal family dies, including like the, the current queen and pretty much everyone who is um, in like direct succession, the, the line of succession. So Evie is now one of the only survivors and she's on the run because the person who is responsible for all this killing would very much like to kill her too if she knew that Evie was still around. So Evie joins this gladiator troupe and it reminds me of like a circus in a, in a fantasy setting there's like acrobats and different like tightrope walkers, but primarily these people are gladiators and they put on these shows, like these boxing, fighting, like terrible shows. And that's how they, they make money. So, so Evie becomes a gladiator. And at first, you know, she wants to keep her identity hidden. She doesn't want anyone to know who she is because they might turn her over to the new queen who is certainly no good at all. But eventually she realizes that she has to kind of own who she is and own her place in the world and her need to sort of be the new queen with a much better plan for her country. And so she devises a plan to kill the queen so that she can take her throne and hopefully um, avert like a terrible, terrible war. So this is pretty much everything I love about fantasy. There's fantastic world building. There's this really complicated magic system that I love. There is a very understated romance um, that I finally understand like who her love interest is now that I finished the first book. Um, But I'm really eager to see how this um, series wraps up. Protect the Prince came out last year, and then Crush the King is out in March of 2020, and I'm so excited for it. If you love fantasy, if you've loved Estep's writing in the past, I highly recommend this. The first book is Kill the Queen, and it's Crown of Shards book one by Jennifer Estep, and I love it. Speaking of Evie, um, Mm -hmm. it's such a beautiful segue Um, I'm going to talk about the first book I read in 2020 because it just did happy things to my heart and soul. And I'm glad Natalia is not on this episode because my last recommendation by this author, she did not like, but this book is called all about Evie and the author is Kathy Lamb. And I would sort of classify this in the women's fiction sort of genre. It is about a woman named Evie and she lives on, I know in, um, she lives the San Juan Islands, are those the ones like off the coast of Washington, right? I think so. Yeah. She lives on an island off the coast of Washington um, with her very eclectic mother and aunts. Their names are, um, I want to say Poppy, Camellia, and Iris. eccentric or eclectic? Eclectic. And is eccentric, both. Um, they're very interesting people. They're in their 70s. Um, they own a hat shop. They make very fabulous <laughs> hats for women. Um, and her aunt makes sexy oils and sexy lotions, um, with very funny sexual names. And it's just the most delightful thing. So she owns 
Evie owns a bookstore um, on the island, and um, she her favorite thing is helping people discover new book genres. And um, her way of coping with life, she has books all over her house, giant stacks of books. Evie, I know. So I'm already just sort of like predisposed to like this woman based on the fact that she loves books. But Evie has returned home to this small island because um, in her early 20s, she sort of considered ending her life um, because she was having trouble dealing with the fact that she had premonitions about people and she knew if they were going to have an accident or when they were going to pass away. Um, and it was a lot for her to handle. And she, um, from childhood, she's had this knowledge. And so she's come home and she's learned some coping strategies. Books are good to kind of help quiet the voices. And she has a bunch of animals that she's adopted on her farm, some um, horses and llamas and alpacas and um, I know and they all have really funny names. I want um, a llama. Dogs. And, I do not want a llama. But <laughs> um, anyway, so she has this whole. Um, she's embraced by this very um, lovely town of people, and she is living this very quiet life on this island with her beloved mother and aunts. And her younger sister um, calls to let the family know that she's getting married and she wants the wedding to be on the island. And so this is kind of all we know about Evie at this point in the novel. And then all of a sudden our point of view shifts back to 1975-ish. And this young woman who is in prison having a baby. And I'm like, why is this even like part of this? So this other young woman, there are chapters about her periodically, and it takes a little while to figure out who she is and why she's important. Um, but anyway, back to Evie. So Evie is helping plan her sister's unconventional wedding, and um, her sister decides that um, they want. she wants to find out if all the lore about their family is true, and so she decides they're all going to do DNA testing before the wedding. And Evie learned okay. some things through this DNA testing um, that sort of upend her whole world. And so this book is about basically how she takes that knowledge and learns to embrace all parts of who she is. There's a lovely romance, but the majority of it is her just kind of learning how to accept herself. And it's just such a beautiful book. I loved it so much. It's called All About Evie by Kathy Lamb. That looks really kind of cool. I can't imagine someone deciding, like, okay, everyone should have a DNA test. Well, in the family, but, in the, you know, yes. just her immediate family. But, right. you know, and, and I will say also that um, Kathy Lamb has a very unique writing style. Each chapter to me kind of feels like a vignette almost. But then after a while, they all come together to form a really great story. So it always takes me a few chapters to kind of – um, sort of immerse myself in her writing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I do, I really appreciate her stories. Um, so just please just give it a couple chapters, like just um, sort of suspend what you think, like how a book should be written. And if you can do that and kind of get used to her, 
uh, slightly quirky writing style. I think you, you know, I think a lot of people would really enjoy this book. Okay, so my final book is Sisters of Shadow and Light by Sarah B. Larson. Um, I, this book was really, really good. It, it took a, just a tiny bit to get into, um, but this book is about Zora and Inara. They are sisters. Um, Zora is the older sister, and when Zora was three years old, her sister Inara was born, and that same night, their father left them and Inara was born and they all knew she had what they uh, they call the paladin power and um, her eyes are like this very brilliant azure blue and that's how they know that she has the power the the paladin power but uh, Zora was seemingly not born with that their father is a paladin but when Inara is born their mother is so stricken with grief that her husband and their father has, has left them that she refuses to even look at her newborn daughter because it just reminds her too much of her husband. And so they spend 15 years locked away in this citadel, um, away from the village that's outside because the paladins um, are feared, and if they were to go outside of the citadel, they would be killed. Um, and when he, when Inara is born, this hedge, this magical hedge, grows up all around the citadel, and nobody can come in or go out, so they're stuck here. Um, and so for 15 years, Zora, who loves her sister dearly, has has tried to help her um, overcome her power because Inara has become this, she's kind of locked in her head. She does a lot of random mutterings and stuff like that because her power, she doesn't know how to control her power. So it kind of consumes her and she's able to make plants grow and this kind of thing with her power. And if she's able to do this, she becomes lucid for maybe a few hours maybe a few minutes. It just depends on how much power she uses. And so for 15 years, Zora has pretty much been kind of her sister's caretaker and her mother has become very rigid and standoffish and doesn't really, she's not a motherly figure. There is a, uh, a maid named Sami that is kind of a mother figure, but she's, there's, she holds a lot of secrets. And then one day the hedge opens and this scholar is let through the hedge. And he kind of comes in and changes everything. He, uh, him and Zora begin to, he begins to teach her about the paladins and trying to help her understand her sister's power to try to help her control it. Um, going any farther is, is going to give too much away. So, and this, uh, just lost my words. Sorry. So the, these two, they, while they're 
um, while they're learning about the power and everything, they're also trying to keep it under wraps from her mother because she's like vicious when it comes to not knowing anything and learning anything about the paladin because she's just too distraught. Um, but this, this book is really good. It, there's a lot of character building and a lot of world building. Um, there's a lot of what in the beginning kind of seems like things are going to move really, really slow and not come together. But it all, there's all a, the, a purpose behind it. There's a few almost romance scenes that kind of fit and don't fit all at the same time. Um, it wouldn't have lost anything with the book if they had been left out. Um, but you also don't have these people like magically falling in love just because a guy ought to, uh, magically walks through the hedge one day, um, which I guess is a good thing. <laughs> it is um, a good thing. Yeah, because for 15 years, she's never, you know, Zura has never met a boy she's never been around a boy so she kind of thinks she might have feelings for him but at the same time she's not sure because she's never been there mm -hmm. but her mother's always told her you know if you ever have the chance to find a husband you need to take it so she she what she kind of has is the way I see it is like learned feelings like she she's supposed to feel something because this is the first guy she's ever met and she's supposed to find a husband um but it, things take a different turn and it, it really does turn out good. Um, you do get to see a, uh, the paladin world in this book, which is awesome. Um, there's a lot of emotion in this book because Zora it has a lot of love for her sister. She feels very deeply. She's, she's pretty much her protector, her caregiver. So any emotion she has where her sister's concerned is just soul deep. You feel it. Um, and then when, when you come into the paladin world, you meet this whole new race of people that have so much love for each other and so much emotion and so much power. It's just, it's a beautiful story once it really gets moving. Um, so Sisters in Shadow and Light by Sarah B. Larson. It's her first book in her Sisters of Shadow and Light series. And... I call dibs on the new book when it comes out in October. All right. So that does it for us this evening. There are 12 of the best books that we've read recently, crossing all kinds of genre lines. Um, some about like people who are alive, some about the dead, some about the <laughs> undead. Um, I think we kind of and run the gamut here tonight. Bad puppies. Yes. Yes. Canines as well. <laughs> So I want to thank Sarah, Stacy, and Kristen for chatting with me this evening about all these fantastic books. As always, thanks goes out to Christine for her fantastic editing of all of these episodes. And thank yes. you so very much to all of you who have joined us on our Book and Bistro journey. We appreciate it so very much.
If you would like to let us know your thoughts, you can do that by leaving us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform you use to access the show. And not only does it allow us to see your feedback, but it also helps other book lovers to find us, which is a great thing. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with more bookish fabulousness. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more discussion of great books. Take care, everybody.